The following audio is from Gold Country Baptist Church in Shingle Springs, California. Visit gcb.church to find more resources and to learn about our church. Well, he grew up in a home with parents who were not believers. They did attend church when he was younger, but it was a very liberal church where they didn't really preach the gospel or didn't believe the, the Bible or its miracle work in God. But he had a nanny who cared for him as a young boy and taught him from the books of Moses, from the beginning of the Bible, about creation. And he learned about Israel's salvation at the Red Sea. And that story got his attention as he's trying to imagine what this would look like, imagining this like this aquarium walkthrough where there's the ocean and these walls are, are holding it back. And that story became his favorite passage. He was excited to think about it. He was emphasizing a, a mighty miracle work in God that he hadn't been hearing about at his liberal church. And at that time, the movie The Ten Commandments came out. How many of you have seen The Ten Commandments? Okay, a lot of you. Uh, it was in the theater. He begged his parents to let him see it. But they wouldn't. But he remembered his nanny had taught him to pray. And so he prayed that he might be able to see it in some way. Because he wanted to see that great scene. And right after that, as he went downstairs, his dad told him, you can go to the movie. God had opened up a way for him to see that scene of God opening up the Red Sea. And uh, Cecil B. DeMille's uh, production of that, one of the great special effects up to that time, as Charlton Heston raises his arms to show the power of God to split the waters. And he saw it more than once at the theater, and sometimes would time to be there at the intermission. There was a lot of other stuff that wasn't as interesting. But after the intermission was this scene, this epic scene, and that Old Testament story of, of salvation became his own salvation story. Here's later what he shared in his own words. I would sometimes go down to this pond, and I would fantasize about Moses splitting the water. I, I just wanted to see something powerful like that from God, and and he later came to see in his own life that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. And God called him to salvation, as he irresistibly does, and to ministry and to seminary. But he went to his wife and was talking about this calling that he felt on his life. She wasn't sure how they would make that work, and she said, we can't do that. You have a job, you have a contract, we have a lease. And in reply, he quoted from Exodus 14, just stand still, see what God will do. And God parted everything for them. That's the story of my dad. That's the story of my father and his great God. And we're going to read in Exodus chapter 15 these words, and you can begin turning there. I will praise him, my father's God. I will exalt him. Him and, and I want to exalt and praise God for all the ways that He has opened up ways in our family and in our life. I remember when I became a father by adoption in Congo, there were challenges that I could not see how I could get past or get through, but God opened up a way mightily in ways that I still can't explain. And others who know how things normally work say, That is God. And I wrote a blog, I remember, and this was the title of it, Our Red Sea Dividing, All-Providing God. And I was reading that again and just marveling at the ways that God 
delights to work. And, and when I was little, I remember when we went to the mission field in the Philippines, one of the first families we became friends with, and their kids were close friends with ours, their little daughter had been bitten by a cobra, which, which could have been fatal and deadly. And I remember hearing them tell the story, and, and they, they wrote the story about how she nearly died as they're trying to get to the hospital on time. This is a little, I think she was less than two years old, and the father, and the traffic in the Philippines is, is unbelievable. You can't even imagine how tight things are and how it was to get through, but he says it just seemed like the, the cars just seemed to keep dividing, like it was almost like the Red Sea was just moving so he could go through, and they got to the hospital in time, and that daughter's life was spared, and we grew up knowing this little girl. When our Father God does things like that in our life, we need to praise Him, and, and we need to exalt Him. And, and this is one of the ways he, he likes to work. He likes to make a way in the way that only He can, where you give Him all the glory. And this is a deliverance pattern that we're going to see in Scripture, but physically and spiritually. This is how He works deliverance in history and in our stories. But what we're going to read about is much bigger, maybe the biggest event in history of a physical deliverance. But we need to remember our God is the same God yesterday and today and forever. Our God delights to work in this way. As we said last time, his, his specialty is impossibility. And he likes to work in a way where he gets all the glory. And I was reminded one other thing about growing up in the islands of the Philippines. We actually sang this song that the Israelites sang here as a missionary kid. I remember it in school I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. And there were some hand motions, splish, splash. The Lord is God, I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. That comes right out of Exodus 15. If you would look with me at Exodus 15, verse 1, it says, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrew your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with the wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? We'll stop there. There's, there's so much in the song. We'll have to do it in two parts here. This is the first song of God's people ever recorded. Not necessarily the first song they ever sang, but the first one recorded in Scripture. 
And this is incredibly important. This, this really becomes a, a, a pattern that even we're continuing today, singing songs to the Lord. The, the first line of this song is repeated at the end by, by Miriam. We'll look at that next time by the women. Many of its lines, though, would also be echoed in the Psalms and the prophets. And even in our closing song today, it's, it's been said this song from Exodus has influenced history, theology, poetry, Music, ancient and modern, it's, it's been called the theological base of the whole book of Exodus. And some of the ancient rabbis rated this event as 25 times greater than the miracle of the plagues. The miracle of plagues had been one of God's greatest acts of judgment besides the flood, but they, the rabbis said this is, at least some of them said it was 25 times greater than those miracles. We've seen in Exodus the story of God's great salvation. Now we're going to see the song of God's great salvation. And it's appropriate for God's people to, to respond in song. And that's what we're going to see. Earlier it was appropriate for them to be silent and to see what God was going to do. Moses said, be silent, see what God is going to do. But now they see what God has done and they can't be silent. They've got to praise. In fact, verse 1 I will sing can also be translated, I must sing. This isn't just a future. This is what I'm going to do. It's the, the forces, I must sing. And, and the main point, and I've got a slide. We can pull this up so you can see the main point and where we're going. The main point is God's people must sing or must praise him for who he is and for what he's done. So it says, I will sing to the Lord. And there's Two things that I want to look at here today. We'll look at more next week, but I will sing to the Lord for a glorious deliverance. That's what he's done. And then a victorious warrior. That's who he is. A glorious deliverance is what he's done. A victorious warrior is who he is. God's people must praise him for who he is and what he's done. That's the right response to all of this. I will sing to the Lord. James Montgomery Boyce, in one of his last sermons, said, Music is a gift from God that allows us to express our deepest heart responses to God and His truth in meaningful and memorable ways. There, there's something about the songs that we, that we sang today that, that present the truths that we see from Scripture. Almost every line that we sang was based on something from Scripture, but it's, it puts it in a meaningful and memorable and even melodic way. Boyce says it's a case of our hearts joining with our minds to say yes, yes, yes to the truths that we are embracing. We must sing to God for who He is and what He's done. And the first truth that needs to be embraced by our hearts so that we sing is a glorious deliverance. What God has done, verse 1 says, they sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord. That's who it's about. It's not about them. It's about, I will sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. And then verse 21, Miriam sang to them, sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. So we've got these bookends that show us the theme of, of what this whole chapter and section is about. And then right in the middle of it, verse 11, is the key statement, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? 
Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds? That's the central verse and the central point. And the song begins and ends on this note of glorious triumph. In the middle of verse 6, O Lord, glorious in power, your, your right hand, he mentions. That's what he's done, his, his deliverance from Pharaoh's hand. Pharaoh thought his hand was almighty, but he, he sees that God's hand is infinitely stronger. And it's for his majesty, his greatness. His, look at verse 7, in the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries, you send out your fury, it consumes them like stubble. That word stubble would remind them, as they sang that, of their slavery in Egypt, because there was a the part where it got the worst in their slavery, and they thought they were all going to die, was when Pharaoh, in his fury, said, no more straw for your bricks. You need to gather your own stubble. But the quotas are not going to be diminished. And they began to beat them because they weren't producing as many bricks. And all of Israel is going around trying to gather stubble. A little stubble that just is consumed. Trying to get something that they could use to, to make the bricks with along with the waters. Egypt is now being consumed like stubble. That's what they sing. It was like nothing for, for them to be consumed to God. God is, is crushing them. Like, like think of two tsunamis crashing together on top of them. That's what's happening. All this massive water is slamming together and it crushes the entire Egyptian army. In chapter 14, archaeology has actually found an ancient Egyptian inscription that warns how Pharaoh's enemies should die. Here's part of it. Quote, There is no tomb for a rebel against Pharaoh's majesty. His corpse is to be cast into the water. That was the most shameful way to die, without a proper burial in the water. That was a threat for how Pharaoh's enemies should die, and that is how Pharaoh's entire army dies. In this culture that probably more than any other ancient culture prized not only burial, but burial in their land, in their land of the tombs, this sacred land and how important it was for them to have a proper burial. You've seen the pyramids and the tombs and all the elaborate ways that they wanted to, to, to bury people there in hopes for their afterlife. All of them die at sea instead. The Egyptian army was all locked onto chasing Israel, but they are now all in Davy Jones' locker. They're all at the bottom of the sea. And ironically and comically, Pharaoh is again like wily e. Coyote. Everything he's trying is actually destroying himself. And we could say all the king's horses and all the king's men could not get Israel back to Egypt. Again, they thought they would overtake and kill the slaves. They all get overtaken and killed by waves. And God had already sent plagues. Some of the language here, God had sent plagues on Egypt that covered the land. Now in verse 10, it says, the sea covered them. He's using the same verb. They're, they're using the same verb in this song. I think they're remembering what God had done even in the song before this. 
And just like the plagues that overtook man and beast, horse and rider are being overthrown and overtaken by God. And again, this is divine justice. Israel, or Israel's males had been cast into the water at the, at the order of Pharaoh to die, to drown. Now all of Egypt's males, at least in their army, are being cast into the water to die by drowning. This is a God of justice. And there's a warning here to hard-hearted sinners. You cannot resist God. Don't cover your sin. You will go down to the Bible would look back on this in the Psalms and in Hebrews and say, when you hear God's voice, do not harden your heart today. Don't harden your heart. Don't resist correction from God's word or from God's loving servants. God opposes the proud. And this is what he does in verse 4. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea. And his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. And there could also be reference here to the fact that Pharaoh, his heart was Hard, it was hard as a stone, and now he's his, his army. It actually says the Egyptians' hearts were hardened in chapter 14. They're now sinking like a stone, never to rise. For those who hurt God's children, it's better for them to have a large stone hung around their neck and be drowned and cast into the depths of the sea. And that's not just the Old Testament. Jesus used that kind of language when he talked about those who would make little Children stumble into sin. There's a warning here for any who are oppressive, any who cause sin, and those that they're to protect. God will judge you if you don't repent. And here's the sobering word at the end of verse 10. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. That's how God delivers from enemies. But this language is also picked up in, in the prophet Micah to speak of our, our worst enemy, our enemy of sin. Micah 7, as in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt, I will show you miracles. Nations will see. And then the prophet says this, who is a God like you who pardons iniquity? He says, you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. That's Micah 7. Verse 15 through 19, that's good news for us. If we don't cover sin, if we confess sin, if we come clean to the Lord and others, there is pardon. There's pardon for sin. And that's the greatest miracle, we might say, to those who ask God for forgiveness. Because that's, that's our greatest enemy. And it uses the same language in Exodus fifteen eleven. uses the the same question, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? The answer is no one, nothing. There's, and there's no natural explanation for this. This is a miracle, what God does. Maybe you've heard of people try to explain the plagues and the Red Sea crossing. As, and naturalistically, there was a story of a liberal pastor who was preaching on Exodus 15 in an old Bible-believing African-American church and and as he was talking about it, someone shouted out of the, 
the audience, we don't do that here as much, but they shouted out, praise the Lord, taking all those children through the deep waters. What a mighty miracle. And the minister said, no, 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 you don't understand. It wasn't a, a miracle. It wasn't deep waters. It was kind of marshy. The, the tide was going back and forth. And so it was just, there was just a few inches of water. And they went through and this person said, well, then praise the Lord that he drowned all those Egyptians in just a few inches of water. What a mighty miracle that would be. So you can't, you can't explain away or get away from the Bible's miracles or its almighty judge. And the believing heart, however you explain exactly what happened, the believing heart wants to sing and, and shout out to this miracle-working God who does wonders and is awesome in glorious deeds. And he has done a wonder in every one of our lives who have been born again because it is a mighty miracle to be regenerated, to be given life where we were spiritually dead, and to have our sins forgiven. So this isn't just an image for back then. All believers are to, see, are to say, verse 2, I think this song is recorded here because this is what God's people are to sing. Verse 2, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Can you say that? Can you sing that? The Lord is, he's my strength. He's my song. He's who I want to sing about and and tell people about. He's become my salvation. And, And the word here, I talked about it last time, is Yeshua. He has become my Yeshua. And this is for everyone I know this, is, this was intended to be sung because several psalms use this language. Psalm 118, the Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation, Psalm 118 says. And it says, you are God and I will praise you. You are my God and I will exalt you. Psalm 118 was sung by the Jews every year at the time of Passover. It was the Hosanna psalm. Part of it says, Hosanna, save us now. This is the psalm that they're chanting that last week of Jesus' life as he comes into Jerusalem to fulfill the language of being a strength and a song and becoming our salvation. It was likely the hymn that the gospel writers mentioned that the, the disciples with Jesus sang a hymn before they went out from the upper room to the Mount of Olives to Gethsemane where he was going to go to the cross they would have been singing these words according to, to history. And some of the words talk about the Messiah who has become the, he's been, he would be rejected by the people, but he would become the chief cornerstone. And, and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord is, is what they would say of him. Jesus came in that name. Jesus brought a glorious deliverance for his people that very week. That very weekend, he fulfilled the language that is here in Exodus and here in Psalm 118 and other places. Isaiah picks up that language, Isaiah 12. And it's, he's in the context of talking about this Messiah, Jesus, or Yeshua, to come. And, and he quotes Exodus also with this application, I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He has become Yeshua. His name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. So Isaiah is picking up on this language saying, we need to, in light of this Messiah, this Christ to come, we need to let everyone know about this. And we need to not be afraid in in light of this great Yeshua, to trust him, to not fear. 
And even in the Old Testament, this language is applied to the one we would later call Jesus, which is just a, a, a different form of the word Yeshua. Don't be afraid. Trust Jesus as your strength. Your enemy is sin, and it is a, a heavy enemy. But when you repent through the work of Jesus, those sins are cast into the depths of the sea, and they are never to rise again. And I like what Corey Ten Boom says, and, and, and it's like we need to put a sign up that says, no fishing allowed. Don't go fishing back for those. Don't try to bring and reel those back up with your past sins by you or others. Praise the Lord Jesus for what he's done with your sin, and don't drudge it back up. Don't drudge it back up mentally or verbally with others. And sometimes we don't want to do that, but that keeps happening or it keeps being replayed in our mind. And sometimes we need help being delivered from the ongoing effects of sin. Jesus can help with that too. And so can his church. And maybe even today up front afterwards, a brother or sister can pray with you. There's others during the week who can help you with that. But this passage shows us that God can deliver gloriously, how he, how he can deal with sin, but also how seriously he takes sin and how serious we need to take our sin. We need to take our sin serious because sin is a war. And that takes us to the second image. The Bible says sin wars against our soul. And so there's this glorious deliverance, but we also need not only what he's done, but a victorious warrior who he is. So it's not just what he's done in the past, but who he is for us always. Look at verse 9 of Exodus 15. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil, my desire shall have its fill of them, I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. That's what it's saying. My my hand is going to destroy Israel, but it's actually God's hand that destroys them. He actually shatters the enemy. And the verse that kind of sums it all up is verse 3. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Or the Legacy Standard Bible says, Yahweh is a warrior. We sang earlier about the Lord of hosts, his name. Lord of hosts or Lord of armies. That's used 285 times as a title of the Lord. And it emphasizes this fact of armies, hosts. He is this warrior Lord. Yes, God is a God of love. And we'll see that next week in verse 13. You have led in your steadfast love. But first, He is holy. And He is a holy warrior in the first 12 verses, before we get to his love in verse 13. Verse 3 says he's a man of war. That is is his name. In other words, that is his nature. Not the only aspect of his nature, but that's key to his nature, to know that he is a man of war or a warrior. And this is actually good news. This isn't something you'll hear about as much if you just flip on Christian TV or even pick up popular Christian books. But this is really important for us to know this aspect of God and his character because it tells us that God not only can deal with sin, but that God will deal with sin and evil. He doesn't just love and 
try. He actually fights and he is victorious. He is the sovereign conqueror. He is the God of angel armies. And if he's on your side, that's good news. He is the invincible warrior king who cannot be thwarted and cannot be stopped. Psalm 24 says, Who is this king of, uh, this, this Lord of glory, the, the Lord who is mighty in battle, the Lord of hosts or armies, the Lord Almighty? That's who he is. That's who we need to look up, lift up our heads and see him. And in Deuteronomy 20, you can look at that later, this truth of God fighting for us is something that Moses would write as this is cure for when you're feeling defeated, when you're feeling disheartened. When you're, when you're tempted to give way to panic, he says you need to remember this warrior God who is with you and is fighting for you and who will give you victory. That's Deuteronomy 20. And I say this knowing there's people here facing significant battles in your life. Some of you have family or friends that may seem like enemies at times. There are major health battles going on in our midst. There's spiritual warfare or situations that you dread, that you fear. You need to know the Lord is a warrior and he will be the victor for those who are with him. Here's what Moses said later in Deuteronomy 1. End of the chapter. Do not be in dread or afraid. Your God who goes before you will himself fight for you just as he did before you in Egypt before your eyes. So, so don't just think that was a one-time thing. He says, just like he did in Egypt, he's going to keep being that God for you. He says, you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went. That's Deuteronomy 1. 28 to 30, and Israel could look back and they could see like footprints in the sand, but they could see that the Lord had carried them, not just at certain parts, he carried them all the way. He carried them all the way. He's a victorious warrior, and he not only defeats the enemy, but the image is he's not going to leave a single one of his own behind. He's going to go back in the battle and he's going to make sure he picks up the wounded one and he carries him all the way home because he is committed to his people and he will not leave one man or woman behind. And so this is good news because we have, we have a, a world that is more and more becoming hostile to the things that we believe. We have an enemy that is pursuing us, that, that would like to destroy us. There's all kinds of people, even in our state, that would love to make things very difficult for you and your jobs and us as a, as a church. But we also have this enemy within. We have, sin's desire is to overtake us. We have the world, the flesh, and the devil that, that want to conquer us, and, and they are great, but we need to remember greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. We need to remember that. We need to remember that, that we don't have to live a defeated life because Romans 8 says, in Christ we can be more than conquerors through him who loved us so. Here's what Paul says at the end of 1 Corinthians 15. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And he gives us the victory over even the last enemy, which is death. 
the end of 1 Corinthians 15, but young people, if, if, you, if you get this, if you understand this God, this can make all the difference in your life. Think of the young person who faced the giant on the plane there. I'm thinking of the story that was one of my kids' favorite stories, the story of David and Goliath. We used to act out this story of David and Goliath. I got to be the bad guy, of course, uh, just like I always played the big bad wolf, but I would come and I'd act like the Philistine champion who was over nine feet tall, and, and I would warn them, I'm going to feed you to the birds of the air, and we would go through this, and one of those little munchkins would say, you come against me with sword and spear, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have defied. And it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. I don't know if they always said all of that, but that, I, I tried to get them to, to say that line. I'm coming against you in the name of the Lord who you have defied, and then they would usually take a, a plastic ball and they would throw it as hard, try to hit me in the head. Sometimes it would hurt and I would groan and I would fall down and they would take a toy sword and, and try, to, try to cut off my head. But that's, that's what the image is here. This is the, the Lord, the mighty Lord. Kids need to know that the Lord is a warrior. And, and little David said, and he told everyone, all the armies are watching, he says, the Lord is going to deliver so that all the world will know that there is a God in Israel. Boy, what a great example of how we can have courage if we know this Lord, that we want others in the world to know that there is a God, not just in Israel, but everywhere. But the point of all that isn't dare to be a David, you know, in some sort of a a moralistic way. The, the, The point or what's happening there is actually those who dare to defy the living God will go down. And they need to know he is a warrior. And the Lord saves through his anointed servant. And there's some actually interesting language about David that also connects with Exodus 15. It says in 1 Samuel 16, right before this, that David was a, and he's, he's a young man here, but he was a man of war, ish, malachma. It's the same Hebrew phrase from Exodus. The Lord a man of war, and this language would be used of a later son of David, the coming son of God or Messiah. Isaiah 42, verse 13, the Lord goes out like a mighty man, like a man of war. It's the same phrase as Exodus. Like, like mighty David is a, is a king, is a warrior. The Lord, like a man of war, shows himself mighty against his foes. But this Lord, who's a man of war in Isaiah 42, who's a warrior, is also tender to his people. He's, he's not going to, someone who's a bruised weed, bruised reed, or, or someone who's a, a, like a smoldering wick of a candle, he's not going to just snuff them out. Those who are wounded and, and bruised, he cares for, he's going to take care of them. And we have this image of this Messiah to those who are discouraged. He comes to them. He will not be discouraged. He's going to be victorious and in the prophets, this coming Messiah conquers enemies, but he also cares for the vulnerable. He cares gently for his people. He wants to deliver them. This is the God of Exodus 15 that they, become to, they come to know more and more about. Exodus 15, 6 says, His hand is glorious in power. 
It's victorious over enemies that he shatters. And that's another part of this that gets picked up by David when he writes Psalm 110. And he applies it to Christ to come. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. So to sit at the right hand is the seat of victory. The enemies are, are underfoot. And then he says to this Lord, the Lord says to the Lord, your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings. It's, it's the same language from Exodus 15, but it's, it's speaking of, of one to come. It's, it's the Lord talking to the Lord. We've got two persons of, of the Trinity. God the Father is talking to God the Son. The New Testament over 20 times quotes Psalm 110 and says, this is about Jesus who's going to come. And he comes at the right hand of power and glory. And he defeats the enemies and he rose victorious from the grave. And the point of revelation is that he wins at the end. And so all that is coming, but that's later in the Bible. But earlier... Moses wrote in Genesis 3.15 about this battle. There would be this battle, this enmity. But there would be the seed of a woman. In other words, this, this would be a man in this war who would one day crush the head of the serpent, who, who's not a man. He's, he's, the, he's the devil. He's Satan. And we see at the Red Sea, the Lord is, is crushing Pharaoh and if you, if you know anything about the pharaohs and their crowns, they actually have this serpent on their crown. He's, he's crushing him, and it's, it's a preview of coming attractions. When the Lord, as a man of war, is going to ultimately, finally crush Satan himself and all of his hosts. That serpent. And it may be that some at the sea here in Exodus got to later see this Lord in some form of a man. I want you to turn to Joshua 5. And I want you to remember that Joshua was at the Red Sea, so he would have been singing with all of them, the Lord is a man of war. He was a young person at the time. But 40 years later, I think Joshua gets to see what he earlier could only sing before they enter Canaan. So Joshua 5.13, he was Moses' assistant. Now he's leading the people into the land. Joshua 5.13, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. So he doesn't know who this man is. So Joshua went to him and said, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no, but I am the commander of of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. It's not about which side I am in, in your battles. It's about are you going to be on my side, the Lord's side. I have come. And Joshua figures out what's going on. He fell on his face to the earth and worshipped. And he said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Does that sound familiar? That's Moses when he's before God at the burning bush. But this is a man who's called 
Lord who is worshipped. And that's, that's important. There's other times where people see an angel and they think it might be God. They fall down and worship. The angel always corrects them and says, no, no, don't worship me. I'm a servant of God just like you. Worship God. This being not only accepts worship, but he actually tells him to be even more worshipful. Take off your sandals. You're in the presence of God here. Take off your sandals. He's come from the Lord, but he's called Lord. Adonai. Just like in those other passages I quoted. Remember, there's one God, but three persons. This is the second person, I believe. because No one has seen God at any time, except for his son. And in chapter 6, this Lord is going to say, I have given Jericho into your hands. So I learned in a song as a kid, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. But I think we should actually say Jesus fought the battle of Jericho. And the walls came tumbling down. Because they didn't actually make the walls tumble down. They came in and took the spoils. But, but the Lord actually fought the battle for them. Hebrews 2.10 calls Jesus the captain of our salvation. He's our captain and commander. He is our warrior to the end of the Bible. So turn to Revelation 15. And as you do, I want to turn in history to the year 1792. There were about a thousand settlers of African descent who traveled across the sea to a new land. They wanted a new start. Some of them were former American slaves. Some of them were free men from other places. There was a new land that they were settling in. They had been purchased as a province of freedom. And as they came ashore to the, to the other side and came on the shores of this land, this is what they sang. Awake and sing the song of Moses and the Lamb. Wake every heart and every tongue to praise the Savior's name. Sing on your heavenly way, you ransomed sinners. Sing, sing on rejoicing every day in Christ the eternal King. That's a great picture former captives who have been redeemed and they're praising the Lord as they go and understanding this is not just the song of Moses. This is the song of, of the Lamb. And, and they get this from Revelation 15. Look at Revelation 15, verse 2. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire and also those who had Conquered. There's a little hint there in the language, kind of like when God made the sea hard as they passed through. There was fire that was keeping back his enemies until they conquered them after they passed. But here's where it it gets even clearer. Verse 3, And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying... So this isn't just the song of Moses anymore. It's the song of the Lamb. Who's the Lamb in Revelation? Say it. Jesus. If you don't know, just say Jesus. It's usually right. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you. So they're singing it. It's not the exact same words, but it's the same themes. It's the same truths. It's the same attributes of the Lord that they are applying to the Lamb. Revelation 15 sounds like Exodus 15. The song of Moses about a God who's glorious in holiness and awesome deeds. The song of Moses is also the song of Jesus. 
the Lamb here till the end of time. So turn to Revelation 19, because there's another horse and rider. And there's another vision of a man of war. Revelation 19, 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. That's kind of a New Testament equivalent of what Exodus said of God. The Lord Jesus is a warrior. He has eyes that are like a flame of fire. His robes as he comes are splattered with blood. And then in verse 14, the armies of heaven. So he's this Lord of armies or Lord of hosts. The armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. This is not just the Old Testament God. This is the New Testament Son of God. This was the vision that John needed to see as persecution was rising and things were getting more difficult in the first century. He needed to see these visions of the Lord and His glorious deliverance, His victorious warrior nature. Matt Papa has a song that puts it all together. Death is close, closing in. Now surrounded by our foes, we were born as slaves to them. Hope departs, but the song goes on. See the waters part. See the lamb on his cross, once exalted, now despised. It is finished. Then he dies. Did the darkness win? But this is not the end. No, Feel the shaking ground. See the stone is rolling back now. As the song moves to him coming again, he judges and makes war. The reign of Messiah. His eyes, flames of fire, strange his attire. Repent, or you'll meet him as a holy, righteous slaughterer. Somebody call the coroner. The Lord is a warrior. He is a warrior. And chapter 18, Revelation even talks about God's enemies personified as a final city there being thrown like a stone into the sea, never to be seen again. And then in chapter 20, death and Hades itself are thrown into the lake of fire, never to rise. Who will not fear this Lord, this holy Lord? Who will not glorify this Lord? Who would defy this Lord? May that not be anyone here. Because when you do, the Lord is a man of war. He is coming. And a day that we will meet him is coming, even if he doesn't come in our lifetime. The New Testament says God has appointed a man who will judge the world in righteousness. But it also says there is a mediator between God and man. He is the man, Christ Jesus. He's the only way that we can have peace with this warrior God. And the way he does that is he saves those who recognize their sinners, who repent, and then who rely on Christ alone, who he is and what he's done. He died for sin, then he triumphed over the grave, and rose victorious. 
So God's people must sing in light of this. Sing for who he is and what he's done. This is actually a command in Revelation 19, if you're still there, verse 5. It's a command from the throne. So this is important. This voice comes from the throne. Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord God the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. Amen. Let's pray and then let's obey that call to sing to the one who has triumphed gloriously. Let's pray. Our Father God, we praise and thank you for this song of Moses and of Jesus the Lamb. Lord, we want to respond exactly as they did in your word, that we might each say in our own hearts, I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. We thank you, Lord, that as we trust in you, our sins are cast into the sea. Help us to say through your spirit, Jesus is my strength and my song, that he would always be our salvation. Jesus is God, I will praise him. He is God and I will exalt him. Jesus is a warrior and a savior. The Lord is his name. His hand is glorious and victorious. And so even as we sing, now I will sing. How you're clothed in majesty, Lord of history. You're the risen one, heaven's champion. Help us to sing to you as our warrior king and as our beautiful savior. You are glorious in holiness. Help us to sing and live with gladness for Christ's sake. Amen.